Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Thursday, October the 26th, and we are finally back to bringing you some of the interviews. It's time to unleash some of this arsenal of knowledge. Today's interview is going to be with Eric J. Molitor. Where's that name from? Where have I heard that before? You heard it because he is one of those who was recently acquitted in the Gretchen Widmer kidnapping case. He was brought up on state charges after his work with the FBI and all of the sort of chaos that went on. We're gonna be telling his story today. I wanna give you a little bit of backstory before we do. Number one, he was incredibly nervous about having that conversation, specifically because I used to work for the FBI. Seems pretty reasonable. So we talked for a little bit beforehand, more than I normally do with folks before we do an interview. And I think you're gonna be very impressed with how honest and how how raw this story is. It is a, uh, an incredible sort of problem to see and to be on the other end of the police state to witness the police state. And so we are bringing you this interview in honor of the police state movie, which many of you saw last night and some of you will see tomorrow night as we do the live streaming premiere, bringing it to your homes. I will be hosting it from Las Vegas. There's going to be a Q&A. I want to give you the details right up front. It starts streaming at 5 p.m. Pacific time. That's going to be 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. There's going to be a live rendition of a theme song that was just made specifically for this movie. You guys will appreciate that. There'll be the movie, and then we're going to be doing Q&A with some of the people in the audience and some call-ins that is going to be available, and you're going to be able to see Q&A with some uh, distinguished guests, folks you're going to want to hear from, and I will be the co-host of that with Danielle Gill, who is Dinesh D'Souza's daughter. So look forward to that. Uh, again, that's tomorrow night. And then, of course, it should play with it. You can buy your tickets at policestatefilm.net. We're not going to waste your time with the trailer. You're going to be talking to somebody who is a real victim of it. Before we do that, I want to say thanks to our sponsors right up front and say thanks to, there they are, Patriot Coolers. You know Patriot Coolers. You can tag them on social media. If you buy any of their products, they're at Patriot Coolers or find them patriotcoolers.com. Anything you buy, you get 10% off if you use promo code Kyle. It's 50 bucks. It's going to get you free shipping. It's pretty easy to find a couple things you like on there. They've got outstanding stuff. We're giving a, a whole sampling of it. They've got the hard-sided cooler, which I just picked up the 50-quart in tan. I'm a big fan of it. I like the way it fits. I like the way that it uh, that it sits. <laughs> it looks nicer. It's going to look more uh, masculine in my truck than sort of the rounded edges and kind of the uh, feminization that I see in my old Yeti. So definitely check out the hard-sided coolers. We're getting into camping season. We're getting into tailgating season. Whether you want a hard or a soft cooler to be able to keep all of your goods as you go and do these things, camping, RVing, running around the country, or watching the favorite game, whatever sports ball you're into, you guys know what I think about sports ball. Maybe you don't. I'm not a huge fan of sports ball, but I do love getting together with friends and family and uh, enjoying something. And if it's sports that brings us together, so be it. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, you'll get 10% off. And then let's also say, what about merch? Let's do that right up front too. The dash suspendables.com. Don't forget the dash. Otherwise you're going to end up at a hockey website, the dash suspendables.com promo code. Kyle gets you 10% there as well. This is Garrett O'Boyle's website selling this, uh, the suspendables merch that you cannot get anywhere else. Got the PT shirt. You got the last line Substack shirt, which is his, uh, his, uh, writing project. You've got the new last line night ops over, uh, what is it? Own the night version, which I was wearing just the other day. 
the hashtag, are you suspendable, the Ranger panties, all that stuff. Um, specifically, check out the pins. We're going to be handing these out when we go to Miralago uh, next week. We're going to be uh, wearing them at the premiere um, tomorrow night. And check this out. There it is. Owen Schroyer now doing time in the federal penitentiary in Louisiana. Put this on right after I saw him on InfoWars. You can buy one of them for 15. You can buy three of them for 30. That's a deal. And uh, they ship free. So you know you're getting a, a straight support for Garrett. Like I said, 30 bucks for free. I used to tell you people, just all you got to do is um, you know buy one for you and then give two out to your family members. You're going to want to keep all of them, I think. You might want to buy six of them. You might be going to get two bumbles, bundles rather, because I've got them on all my suits and I hate taking pins off my suits once I get them placed where I want them. So I've got, I don't know, 10 of them now. I think I've got a whole bunch of them. They're, uh, they're really great. They're unique. They're unusual. And nobody else is sporting a lapel pin that looks like that. People go like, what's going on there? It's going to be a conversation starter and you can tell them to hold the line just like the suspendables. Okay. Without any further ado, today's Kyle Serafin show interview guest. Eric Molitor, strap in folks. This one's a little bit tough. All right, Eric, I want to thank you for joining me. I think Eric's story is going to be really compelling to you. And I think you're really going to want to hear it. Um, and some of it we're going to have to uh, fence off just because of the legal situation. Yeah. So Eric, thanks so much for joining me on the Kyle Serafin show. Thanks again, man. All right, buddy. Look, this is going to be kind of a, uh, an awkward conversation in some ways for you, I think, because uh, you've got a lot of fear. Tell people why you have some distrust and some fear about uh, telling your story. Well, um, I, I'm afraid that the government might possibly get a hold of what I say and chop it up and try to come after me again. I was warned that they might do that. And that is something they tried to do during my original trial. And, um, it's hard for me to trust people because after I got, um, the not guilty verdict, I had a friend come out and tell me that they were actually a confidential human source against me personally. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm always nervous. Anytime I do an interview, I'm always nervous, at least at first. But once I warm up, it'll, it'll get better. I have no doubt about it. You just mentioned a confidential human source that was into you. Uh, give people the they, people that don't know what what is the case that they have read in the headlines that uh, that you were involved in, because that's where we're going to start going. We're going to start way back, but uh, I want people to kind of have a taste of where we're going to end up with this. Okay. Uh, my name is Eric James Molitor. I was accused of terrorist support. Um, or support of a terrorist organization um, in the Governor Whitmer kidnap plot. Yep, which my friend Julie Kelly refers to as the uh, the Governor Whitmer fednapping because there were so many feds involved and you just kind of gave us a little taste that you found out that some of your friends were in fact confidential human sources for the FBI. My former employer, I like to call her sort of my vindictive ex-girlfriend. So I want to start back in the beginning. Let's give people a picture of who you are. You're, you're a regular guy. You're, you're a regular human being. Um, tell me where you grew up. And tell me kind of a little bit about your childhood, if you would. I think there's probably some 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 things people will relate to in that. Okay. Um, I grew up in Cadillac, Michigan. It's a fairly small town uh, where we do a lot of tourism around here. Uh, so it's really pretty, actually. Uh, I grew up on a hobby farm with my mom and my two siblings, um, Amy and Jerry. Amy is my older sister. Jerry is my younger brother. Um, there was a lake right by our place and, you know, we used to go swimming all the time, go play in the woods. We'd ride our bikes down to the corner store and get soda. Some people call it pop or candy. Uh, we'd play with the neighborhood kids. You know, we had like a little baseball diamond in our front yard. We kept mowed down or we'd play basketball. My grandpa set up a basketball hoop for us. It was a typical American childhood. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds better than a lot of typical ones. Did you guys have uh, animals on this hobby farm or were you just growing stuff? We had um, horses and lots of dogs and cats. Lots of dogs and cats. Uh, I'm, I think a lot of people would be jealous of the horses thing. Was it, Did your neighbors have animals too? Is that, I mean, were you guys on a little bit of property? Yep. Uh, we had 10 acres. So originally it was like 80 acres when my grandpa owned it. And then we started selling it off when I was younger. They started selling the property off. Uh, but yeah, the neighbors had horses. And one of our neighbors was actually a sergeant for the DNR. So she was really cool. Um, you know, we'd go over and pet her horses and whatnot. What is, uh, what is DNR? Department of Natural Resources. I got it. Okay. So she was working for like the law enforcement end of, I don't know, like what, game wardens or something? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I haven't heard you mention your dad at all. Can you tell us a little bit about what your, your dad's story is? So I didn't know my dad. I didn't meet him until I was three years old. He ended up coming back to Michigan and wanted to try to connect uh, with his kids. Mm -hmm. So um, there's not really too much to tell there. We did form a relationship. I still talk to him today. I'm really grateful that he's back in my life. Um, while he was younger, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad he took off. Actually, he was an alcoholic and a drug addict and he was violent. Um, so I'm, I'm actually personally happy he wasn't around because I didn't get to experience that. So, yeah, that sounds tough. Was that, uh, how did, how did that affect you as a, as a kind of a young man or a young teenager? As a young man, it, it really hurt. I remember, you know, looking around and seeing other people with their dads and, you know, um, when dads would come to the schools or whatever, it, you know, it always stood out, obviously it's like, well, I don't got one of those, but, um, I mean, it was rough, you know, and watching my mom being a single parent her, the whole time, you know, she raised three kids by herself and, uh, it, it was, it was hard not having a father. Yeah. I've got to imagine that was incredibly difficult. My, my wife tells me about, uh, when her parents got divorced and she was a teenager, she was 16. Uh, and it was one of the most devastating things that affected her for years afterwards. And I can imagine it 13 is even more formed, especially for a young man. How did, uh, how did that manifest? Did you have any, you know, acting out or behaviors that were kind of um, representative of that, uh, that lack of male guidance? Oh, yes. I, especially looking back on it now, uh, if there was a male role model in the house, I definitely would have acted the way that I did. Men have such an integral part to their children. You know, for the little girls, they represent what, you know, what they should expect in a man. And for a, a little boy, it's how to be a man, you know, how to be socially acceptable. Um, you, you, we're part of a society, man. Like it's, it's my job to protect and teach, you know? Uh, so that, that makes a lot of sense. So without that role model, without, they're like, like dads are like guardrails, right? Like you get on one side, you get bashed by your dad and he straightens you out. You get on the other side, maybe your, your older brother straightens you out. You got men in your life that do that. Uh, you're missing a guardrail. Did that uh, manifest in, in going through school, things like that? Um, it did. Um, I'm uncomfortable talking about some of those things just because of what I have going on right now. Sure. Sure. Uh, I know you got into a little bit of trouble going through. You, you uh, ended up leaving high school, right? I ended up leaving middle school. Yes. Eighth grade. Oh, middle school. Okay. Interesting. Yep. And then, um, so you started working, correct? I started working. I was 15 years old. And were you a good worker? I was not a good worker um, for the first couple of years that I started working. I was a terrible worker, terrible employee. 
Um, I didn't understand how jobs actually worked, that you need to be responsible. They needed to rely on me. I wasn't aware how, how important each individual person's role is in a company. Um, being 15, you know, I, I show up, I, I be annoyed for a few hours and I make some money. Well, I know way better now, especially after being a supervisor and whatnot, you know, um, if I could go back, <laughs> I definitely kick my own butt. Yeah. I think that's, uh, something that's probably most men can look back on. I mean, if you weren't just a complete moron by the time you were, what, maybe 25, you start straightening things out. I was still making weird decisions, 25, 26. So you, you, you look back at your life and you think, uh, you know, how, how could I have done that better? But you wouldn't be the person you are today. People are looking, if you're listening on our audio channel, you're not seeing this, but uh, Eric's sitting here with a, a nice pair of glasses on. He's got a button up shirt and uh, he's wearing a collar and looks like a grown up. But, uh, you know, we all do dumb things when we're kids, right? Yes. What about, uh, yep. you know, kind of walk me through the path. Uh, what were your jobs? What kind of jobs did you hold if you're a 15 year old kid and you're, it's got to be tough because you don't have a, you know, you don't have the educational background people are looking for. Do you have a high school diploma? You know, do you have a college degree, et cetera? So what kind of jobs could you get into? So the only jobs that I was eligible for was uh, food service. So, you know, Burger King, McDonald's, um, being a dishwasher, stuff like that. Okay. And then as you, did you end up going back and um, finishing your GED? I did end up going back and getting my GED. Uh, this is when they started coming out with like online uh, GED courses. Mm -hmm. So, and then I supplemented that with adult education at nighttime as well. So I could really get a leg up and then whatever I could study outside of that stuff. So I'd actually go get like, like math was my worst subject. And I knew that I would fail the GED just based on math alone. I found this stuff called Vedic math and it's, it's just a whole different way of looking at stuff um, when it comes to math. And it made more sense to me. Like I couldn't learn the way that the schools tried to do it. It was difficult for me to do it that way, but this stuff, a whole different light. Anyways, I passed the GED. So I did end up getting that. I'll tell you something kind of funny. I got a buddy who's an FBI agent. He's out in Montana and he's the only FBI agent that I know, which is always kind of a, kind of a white collar background job, right? You, you've, you've seen feds, you've been around them, unfortunately now more than you want to be. Uh, but a lot of them are, you know, went to, went to good high schools, went to good colleges, et cetera, et cetera. And he's the only guy I know that's got a GED. And he literally just left high school cause he was bored. He went to college and then he wanted to join the Marine Corps. They told him he needed a, uh, he needed a college degree or an equivalency and he went out and passed the GE test and then went to war. Cause that was his jam. Those are the kind of feds that I like hanging out with kind of interesting dudes who had real stories that in their background, not the uh, cookie cutter types who were probably, uh, probably willing to say yes when they probably shouldn't have said yes. So, all right. So you're working kind of odd jobs. You've got a GED now. Um, you know, how, how are you moving forward in your life? How did you kind of, did you have a transition when you went from, I'm kind of a punk kid doing punk things and I, I'm now trying to be a man that's doing the right thing. Um, there was a very long transition. So unfortunately it took me a lot longer than it does. Uh, I guess you could say the average person. I'm almost 40 now. I'd say around 28, 29 is really when I started to really pull my head out of my own butt. Mm -hmm. And what was the uh, first, there was really, yeah, what was the step there? The, 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 one of the first things that really got me, I was in a relationship with a girl and, um, I was, I was drinking and whatnot. Anyways, we got an argument and she said that she was going to leave. And, uh, I, in that moment, I realized that, you know, she might not come back in the way that I was, was very harmful to being around other people. And it was a hundred percent on me. Like I said, I didn't know she'd come back. So, uh, I called rehab and I got myself into rehab to, to straighten out. And I even told her, even if we don't get back together, like I realized that this is detrimental to any being around anybody. And I need to change myself regardless, even if you take me back. So it was, it was an eye opener. 
right there because I cared about her a lot. Sure. How old were you at that time? Oh my gosh, um, twenty eight. Okay, that's. Uh, I think a lot of guys kind of get themselves together. I feel like I started getting myself together at twenty seven, so I won't hold it against you. And and I had all the advantages of having a dad around to kind of put that guardrail up and put the smackdown when it needed to be done. So at twenty eight, you decided to check yourself into rehab. How did that go? It was terrible. Um, it, it hurt. You know, I was I was drinking a lot. So uh, I was actually an alcoholic when I got in there and they did the, you know, they got to do tests and whatnot, see, check everything on you. They said I probably didn't have much longer to live. And that was a good whack up alongside the head. Mm-hmm. I went into detox first and I was only able to stay for three days because the next bed that opened in the, in the hall was available in three days. You typically get five to seven days in detox uh, because once you go in the hall, you don't get any medications to help wean off so after three days i got put over there and i'll tell you what the pain it was just it was intense it was insane i remember just laying in bed for a couple of days just stomach just racked body racked um but rehab was very interesting um hearing a lot of the same stories you know like we obviously people come from different parts of michigan and whatnot but like to hear the kind of the causes of why people do the things they do there's a commonality amongst uh users and it was really eye-opening, which gave me a different perspective on how to, um, how to think for myself. Like, you know, why do I want that drink? No, you don't need it. And to this day, like now I don't drink like at all. I don't drink now. What were, what were those common threads that you were, you were hearing? Um, a lot of it that you would hear is a lack of a father figure in the house uh, that I don't know why, but predominantly a lack of a, a male role model, a positive male role model. Um, parents not caring about their kids so much, like, like people saying that they, you know, stay out all the time. The parents wouldn't even ask them, where have you been? You know, we were worried about you. Um, and just a lot of childhood trauma things. Um, there's a lot of molestation, especially with the females in there. You know, they hear a lot about that, unfortunately. And and also with males, uh, it's, this is something that people don't talk about is molestation with males. You know, because we don't come forward for the most part, but it's very, it's out there, man. Was that surprising? It, it was. That was really surprising. Yeah. You just don't think about men being a victim of something like that. Well, we, I, I we think they be. say that that actually when you include what goes on in prison, that there's actually more sexual assaults against males in this country than there are against females, even though we only associate it uh, in, in sort of common society with uh, with females. So it's there. Yeah, I, I, and I see why people do that, but that that's kind of a rule to the uh, or the exception to the rule. You know what I mean? Like women get sexually assaulted outside of a prison. So when you put nothing but men with high testosterone and aggressive, like you're talking about the alphas of the alphas, there's going to be that's going to happen. You know, unfortunately, um, I, I don't think that they should be conflated together. Personally, that's my opinion on it. Yeah, it's rough. It's also interesting to think about the fact that uh, a lot of people think they're doing a nice thing for their kids by giving them a lot of rope, but uh, so many of us just need a stronger hand, uh, you know, more guidance at that young age. It's the opposite, just because they look human. Exactly. It's the exact opposite. You know, I mean, God even says right in the Bible, you know, they, they, they were here to guide them, to teach them. And if they get out of line to put them back in line, that is my job handed down to me by God. You know, I have to do this. And uh, I take that seriously. I have, you know, I have two kids of my own. I've got about to ask that. So we're sitting here in 2023. Uh, You have kids, you have, uh, what's your family situation? 
So I am unfortunately divorced now, uh, but my ex-wife and I had two beautiful kids. My son is Aiden. He's 10 years old. And my daughter's Hazel. She's eight years old. And they're the best thing I've ever done. Isn't that something? And are, and you're present in their life pretty frequently? As much as I can be. She lives down in Grand Rapids. I get every other weekend with them. Um, that's our winter schedule. Summer is every other week. Or, okay. Yeah, we swap weeks. I used to have custody of them, actually, until uh, the FBI decided to lie about me. Love it. All right. Well, that's kind of walking us up into there. And then uh, the last thing, in this all goes down in, like, what, 2020? This is kind of when... The wild stuff. Can you give us kind of the precursors to how you got involved with the group that that ended up having the FBI come through your door? What's the, what sort of led you there? What sort of mindset did you have? And then like, you know, what kind of friends were you making? So this is where most of the time is going to be needed describing this stuff, right? So during 2019, 2020, everybody saw the civil unrest that was happening in the country. We're watching places get burned down, police cars and, and police precincts being taken over. I mean, are you freaking kidding me? That This stuff doesn't happen in America. People were dying on the streets. We're watching murders happen because they were trying to defend their, their um, businesses and hometowns and whatnot. So, you know, we got, we got scared. We're watching the, the police be told to stand down. Well, they don't have enough people to, to actually do anything. So what we were doing, uh, me and some groups, we're creating like a civil defense force, right? So we could help take care of our community and our people. I've actually went and stood down in Muskegon, which is about uh, 80 miles away from me with a friend to help secure their place. And they did have Antifa go down those. Anyway, I'll get, I'll get to that, right? Mm -hmm. So... We're seeing all, I'm sorry, there's so much like rabbit trailing that happens, but because there's so much that, that happened during this time. What I wanted to do was uh, start a civil defense force anyways. And we actually got to start with me and my friend, um, Kelsey. We started a civil defense force. We actually had a police liaison, Duff Luter, who used to work for the sheriff's department. And so we, anytime we got information, we'd run it through him. He would run it to the actual police and come back to us. Yes, that's legit or no, that's not legitimate. So we knew how to keep setting things up. Um, we worked with bylaws with the police. We were never there to supersede them. We we're only there to supplement, to help out. Majority of the time, it was only observe and report. Um, so this is this is what I was in. Well, anyways, we ended up getting some pictures of vans with license plates, like real pictures. Gave it, had it run. He come back and said, yes, this is the same things that we're hearing about. We we're hearing the Antifa and BLM, the, the rioters that were attached to these crowds, were coming up and holding up in like outlying areas. So if they were coming to Cadillac to do the riots to actually destroy stuff, they'd stay in like Luther or Leroy and hotels and motels out there and then come in during the, during the riots to do, do their deeds and then book it out. Um, so, yeah. How big a city is Cadillac? How many people live there population wise? Oh crap. I couldn't tell you, man. It's, I mean, ballpark. Is it like a hundred thousand? Is it a million? Oh no, it's more than a hundred thousand now. Okay. So it's a medium-sized city then, yeah? It's a medium-sized city, yeah. Um, during this time, uh, remember when COVID first kind of came out, when the government was talking about COVID, they said you can't get together in large groups. Mm -hmm. So I was with a prepper group at that time, and we uh, were having online class because we wanted to kind of like, we didn't want to um, get in trouble for actually getting together. So we had an online class. I was running the IPAC class, or the individual first aid kit. Uh, I have a little bit of a medical background, so I was offering that, and that's where I saw this Adam Fox guy for the first time, right? Um, his prepper group was Wexford, my county, and surrounding counties, like a buffer zone. Who, um, Ken, who set it up, was awesome. 
he did a good job. Adam's from Grand Rapids, so I don't know why he was in that group. It wasn't my business. Anyways, I'm running the class. You know, there were some questions. That's when I saw Adam for the first time. You know, um, so again, I'm doing what, good what guys. What platform are you guys? What, what are you organizing on? Is this on Reddit? Is this on YouTube? Like, where are you guys doing these things? Uh, I believe that was just a Zoom class. Okay. Did a how, Zoom class and how do people find you though? How do they know to even come and do an IFAC class with you? Let's say. Thank you. Um, so Ken Varney actually started this prepper group, and so he kind of brought people in, and um, so whatever emails and saying, "Hey, we're going to do a Zoom call." I'm just kind of curious, like what the. And the reason why, and I'll tell you why I'm, I'm curious, when people get lured into FBI schemes, there's always some hook that comes in there. The FBI finds them in some ways. And I'm curious if we can, if we know how they sort of got involved with you or how they became aware of your group based on where you guys were. Yep. Um, so Ken, um, yeah, he was not involved by the way. They actually investigated him too. He's a former felon. He was not a CHS. I got some paperwork describing how they looked into him. He wasn't even a a thought in their head, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But um, um, anyway, so yeah, that's where I saw Adam for the first time, right? Second time I saw him, I was doing helping with security at Rosa Park Circle in Grand Rapids, and I saw him out in the crowd. The dude's got a pretty recognizable face. That's how I, you know, so I see him. I'm like, oh, yeah. So I went over and I shook his hand. That's how I, you know, actually met, met the guy. So anyways, back to what I was saying about the police liaison. Mm -hmm. He gets this stuff. And I asked Adam, you know, because we're here and they're coming up from down south. I'm at Grand Rapids, the south. Let's see. I was like, you know, we're, we have intel on this stuff. I actually showed him the pictures. I was like, have you heard anything? Have you seen anything? These no, are the vans. no. I was like, yep, these are the vans, the actual pictures. And so I asked him, if you do, just let us know, you know. So this was our, this was our relationship. We don't know each other, man. I saw him. I went and shook his hand. We stayed in contact here and there just over good guy stuff because he was also standing in like Lansing and Grand Rapids during these riots to try to help protect businesses as well. Everything this guy talked about was all positive. He wanted to do things the right way. The dude got high. You know, I was like, yeah, we can be good friends. <laughs> he seemed really cool. Um, so, okay, where am I at now? Starting the civil defense force. So, yeah, I, I asked him about that. Um I'm sorry. It takes me a second to catch up sometimes because again, so, for me, this is this is three years just jumbled up in my head, and I'm trying to get it out in the nearly for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm going to help kind of guide you through it. What I'm curious is, you use the word civil defense force. Tell me what that looks like in your head. What what is a civil defense force? So d civil defense force is um, people. So it's the civilians actually standing up and protecting their towns and each other. Um, so defense is exactly what it means. Only defensive. We're not there to hurt anybody, to start shit. Uh, we will stop it. But yeah, that's it. Just defensive and a force. So <clears throat> people coming out en masse to show force, you know, because if you look like a hard target, you're not going to get messed with near as much. You know that. Mm -hmm. So the more people that show up, especially armed, especially if you got kit, you're not getting messed with. And we actually did. Uh, Cadillac was protected. Uh, people did try to stage backpacks with bricks in them. They were found. Uh, so this was a real threat that was coming up here. This is the typical situational awareness. They did this in Idaho very effectively too. People would come marching in with the BLM nonsense. There were a bunch of guys that showed up and said, hey, we're all retired military and you can't do this in our town. And then they turned around and went somewhere else and found someone somewhere to go destroy. So um, understood. Okay. So it's a group of people, mutual aid, civil defense, um, yes. And, and what, what numbers were you guys like? How, how many people were organizing for this? 
So the first time that they went out, I actually wasn't a part of it because I was doing private security for some U.S. Some U.S. Marshals had a business, and I worked for them. I was okay. downstate on the Ohio border, so I was kind of helping, uh, you know, just hearing things and talking um, while while that was going on. But there was like 200 people that showed up, and what we did was we organized on Facebook, so it was completely open. The public could see it. We weren't trying to do anything legal at all. Obviously, you know, this is all good guy stuff. So that's how uh, that's how they all found out about it. But yeah, when I heard two like around 200 people showed up just for just for the group alone not not even the other citizens there's like 300 people all together that was really nice to hear that people took such an interest in, in the awareness of people to know that this is a dangerous situation but nothing happened nobody got hurt so it was perfect were there any conflicts on that first kind of outing there with the 200 300 people blm antifa type uh, engagement one of my friends told me that some of the ringleaders, I don't know how they know who ringleaders are. I wasn't aware, but he said that there was a BLM leader and an Antifa leader that were there. And when he went up to confront them, because he actually wanted to ask them questions, that they actually booked it out of there. Okay. So that, there was that confrontation. Other than that, no. Okay. Everybody minded the people's views. All right. Keep walking me forward through this thing, because I know we're going to get somewhere real spicy pretty soon. <laughs> yep. So um, the civil defense force, Adam, running the stuff through Adam. So that was my that was my interactions with Adam. Right, we're not friends. We've never hung out. Um, after a little bit, he gets a hold of me and asks if I wanted uh, wanted to cover a shift for him because he had this meeting in Ohio. But, you know, I know what that meeting is now. I didn't that. He said it was a national militia meeting. That's not uncommon with the groups that I ran with to hear about this. I asked him, Yeah, what's the job? He said, Private security. Holy cow, dude, I've been wanting to get in this for a long time. Are you kidding me? Like, what a dream come true. I said, yeah. So I went and stood for him. And um, Sam liked me so much. He was the uh, uh, Sam Riley, the U.S. Marshal there. He liked that I would just show up at a whim uh, and, and do this for him, that he actually hired me on. So I was real grateful to Adam for getting me this. I'll do the best money I've ever made. That was insane. Like, minimum $400 a day. I was so happy. Um, so there's that connection. Um. A little bit later, and I, I have these texts, dude. I have the texts. Everything, I have everything. You know, it's, I didn't know what was going on. Adam gets a hold of me and asks if I want to go on a ride, okay? Um, and I asked him, yeah, what do you got in mind? He simply said a high-profile vacation house. There was nothing said about Governor Whitmer or anything else. So with everything else that I have going on, doing good guy stuff, actually being in, in league with the police and, and everything else, I'm thinking, okay, high-profile vacation house. Hey, is this somewhere the Antifa and BLM are going to get smart? Are they going to hold up in a private residence now instead of like uh, outlying hotels and motels? Because you ain't going to be seen in a private residence. That's a genius. Or is this a place that they're looking at to destroy? I have no idea. With everything that Adam and I was, was talking about and everything that we were involved in, even independently, all this good guy stuff, my only mindset is protection, protection, protection. So I said, yeah, I don't need to know where we're going. Like I said, I have a little bit of a rapport with this guy. He seems cool. I no red flags, man. Yes, let's go do whatever it is. Um, so if I go too fast, man, feel free to stop because I do get to rambling. Um, anyways, him and Dan, Dan uh, was the CHS guy. Never met this dude in my life. Don't know him at all. They, they end up coming up to my place from Lansing, right? Adam did send me a picture of the map and it said, you know, they're starting in Lansing, something about, um, I thought it said Bel Air, and then Mackinac Island. I'm like, I don't know what all they got going on. I don't need to ask. You know, they'll fill me in. 
So anyways, yeah, they come up. Um, they come in the house. Dan asked if he could use the bathroom because they had to go pee. Of course, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to. I said yes. So this guy comes in, and this is how they scope your house out. This is how they get your layout. So he came in. Adam and I ended up getting high. Um, they didn't talk about anything illegal. Right? What are we getting high so, on? We're smoking marijuana? Is that? Yeah, me and Adam were. Dan didn't smoke. Uh, he okay. said he couldn't because of his job. Sure. We do. Yeah, we know why. But uh, my mom <laughs> was there as well. And the FBI tried to say that she smoked with us too. And she did not smoke with us. So that was a lie. Like they're trying to paint my mom in this negative light as well. Anyways, they didn't talk about anything illegal. At one point, they did talk about boosting a car. Now, okay, red flag, right? But the owner knows about it, and they're running it as like a FTX sort of thing. Like the guy said, "Yeah, you can try to boost my car. If you can get it, you got it." You know. So he put Tell out the what an FTX is. Um, FTX is a field training exercise, and these are where you will go and either learn or hone your skills, whether it's medical. Um, shooting, so weapons manipulation, or even breaking a weapon down, how to clean it. We just get together as militias and like-minded people and train each other on militia-style things. So okay. there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, no, it's military terminology. It's just sometimes acronyms go over people's heads, so I just want to break it down. But this is a training exercise, people getting together and doing some form of guided training in a group. Mm -hmm. And the idea of doing a... Of, of boosting a car as part of a training, what was the the training value that was there if you're boosting a car? Oh, I have no idea. That, that was the first <laughs> that I heard of it. So I have no clue. And and honestly, there's, so let's say there's like a, a shit hits the fan situation, a grid down situation, something like that. You, laws kind of go out the window. And if you need to do something for your survivability or the benefit of your group, you and yours, you know, boosting a car is the least of our worries at this point. So whatever they have going on, that's their business. It's outside of my purview at this point. They haven't talked to me about it. I don't care. Plus, they had mentioned that the guy knew about it and was cool with it. I seriously have no worries whatsoever. I'll, I'll give people so, kind of a little bit of context on that, too. I have friends who are uh, wildland firefighters, and when they're working behind fire lines where everything's going to get burned, they will do that. They will steal vehicles. They will hotwire you know, tractors and equipment. They will use it for things. They'll take it, come into people's houses, which are about to get burned, and they'll eat their food because they're living off the land. They're foraging, and everything's about to get burned and, and covered by insurance. So this is, this is a survival-type mindset that's a little bit different than what most people deal with. But if you're in the prepper world, I, I, it makes sense to me. It doesn't – like that doesn't – I agree with you. That's not necessarily a flag off the top. No, no. So thank you for expounding on that because yeah, there's, there's some nuances that go in that, that make it make sense. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, we, we finished smoking. We started walking out the door and I had previously bought this RF detector. That's a radio frequency detector. So again, right. Why would somebody have this? So being in private security, um, not knowing jack crap about it, I want to move up. You know, it's very competitive. And so I'm watching YouTube videos like these experts, what to do, what not to do. This one guy, he was talking about how he has an RF detector. And when he brings his principles out, the principles are the people that you're protecting, then he will wand either the car they're about to get into, the, the conference room, their hotel room. Now, obviously, this is stuff that you do outside of their view. You don't let your person come up on an unsecured area. So this, when you do it in front of them, it's not about actually being efficient. It's to make them feel comfortable. So I bought the cheapest piece of crap I could find, man. It was like 50, 60 bucks for this thing. I don't know how it really works. You know, it was just something to make other people feel comfortable. And I want to move up, man. And my bosses were talking to me about moving up. So anyways, I saw it on the way out the door and I was like, oh, cool. It's something to show off, man. Um, 
being a dude and being in the groups that you were in, you know how guys are, man. You get a gun, you get equipment, man. You want to show the stuff off. It's big. Yeah, it's gear time. Yeah. So I show him the RF device outside and it's on audio because Dan, of course, is wired. And so he, we have everything, man. Um, I, I got the full five hour audio. Um, so I'm showing, showing them how it works. It's got to be like right on top of whatever it is. So Dan had his phone in his hand and yeah, it beeped. Oh, wow. I found your phone in your hand. Like this is so fucking spectacular. So then Adam, he's like, oh man, bring that to the FTX in a couple of weeks. So that was my first time hearing about the FTX. And of course I'm going to go. It's in Luther right by me. I don't have to go to Wisconsin or way downstate. Yep, I'm going to go. I would have went whether Adam went or not. Uh, I would have taken my RF device, whether I was asked to or not, because, yeah, I'm going to show that off. So anyways, I want to put it back in the house, um, and we get in the truck. As soon as I get in, Adam does make what I consider a dark joke. He said, okay, so we're going to go up to the tyrant bitch's house, and we're going to er, scope out her house. And what was the term he used? Um, the tyrant bitch's um, house. Did you know who that, he was talking about at the time, just out of curiosity? Um, I can assume, like, I had an, an idea, mm -hmm. but, you know, no, you know, nothing explicit. Anyways, he said, then we're going to blow up her boat. If she gets another one, we're going to blow that one up. If she gets another one, we're going to blow that one up. And then he starts laughing maniacally. Dude, that was a joke. I don't care how inappropriate and dark it was. And the reason behind this, um, like, being angry about a boat in them is because her husband, during the COVID lockdowns and all that, tried to get his boat put in their, the uh, marina. And the guy said, no, you know, it's, it's too early still. And he said, does it make a difference if uh, I'm the governor's husband? Yeah, dude. So I remember yeah, that. I remember that press coming out at the time and it being absurd because her husband was flexing on, on just individual people while she was locking down the state. So, you know, all this stuff yep. rings true to me. I was following Michigan because Michigan had some pretty rough lockdowns. Oh man. Yeah, we sure did. So, yeah, so people were upset about that. And I've heard other dark jokes specifically about a boat, about their boat, you know. So this, it was worrisome to hear it. But also with what little bit I knew of Adam, I wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, that's red flag, get the fuck out of the truck, you know. And these are a bunch I of guys sitting in a, in, a, in a vehicle together, like on a road trip, right? Me, Adam, and Dan, right? So Dan's driving, Adam's in the passenger, and I'm right behind Adam in the, in the back. Got it. So anyways, he says that. I'm like, whatever, you know, in my head, you know, those old rubber stamps that are like rejected or revoked. So, yeah. and I, I, when he said that in my head, I just saw it coming out of the black and ka-ching. And so I laughed. I was like, oh man, you know, I saw this in my head. So that was the contribution. The FBI called that a discussion. We discussed blowing up her boat. No, and you said it rejected? Stupid... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it the equivalent of what people dude. do on Twitter. Well, they'll, they'll, somebody will say something like uh, inappropriate and somebody else will go disavow, you know, the, the, oh it's just being silly. It's, it's, it, there's a, there's a common, uh, there's an internet meme about this whole sort of thing. I mean, saying disavow when somebody says something inappropriate for inappropriate humor, it, it happens all the time. Anyway. Okay. Yep. This is yet another example of feds not having a sense of humor. It turns out, but all right, carry on. Only when they say it, is it ever funny? And I got a couple of points on that. Like some people in the FBI is saying, we got a saying in our office, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story or, or something like that. Are you freaking kidding me? Agent Impala. Hendrick Impala, Impala, dude, terrible human being. Anyways, uh, where was I, dude? I'm sorry, I just got mad. All right, right so there. you're sitting in the back seat. You're riding. You're riding, bitch. You got two guys that are both now. We and, and Adam was working with the with the feds as well, right? That's the story. 
No, Adam is okay. not one of the okay. confidential he, human. Not on, okay, got it. My my uh, all no. the all the facts of this case are going to be a little so. All right, so Dan is a uh, either an agent or a CHS. Which what is he? CHS. He's the original CHS actually. All right, so he's working for the FBI, and th and that's why he's not smoking, and and Dan is that. I'm sorry, he's Dan is driving, and Adam is sitting in the passenger seat, telling silly jokes yep. and making fun of Gretchen Whitmer in her boat. Yep, made right, one keep, joke. Drive forward, keep going. So I'd also like to point out at this point that um my crime supposedly was that I took a video up there. That was my material support. So Dan coming in and casing my house previous to me actually doing anything, I'd like to point out how weird that is. I was already being looked at and set up before I even did what I was accused of. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's really yeah, we'll, weird to think about. We'll, 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 we'll dissect this. I'll, I'll dissect it with you and we'll actually show it out to people yeah. how this kind of stuff works later. I want to hear the story from your end of it. And, and then we'll talk about how the FBI okay. does this stuff for sure. Okay. So then after that, dark ass joke we drive for an hour hour and 20 minutes however long it took up to what i um assumed was bel-air i found out seriously not too long ago it was elk rapids we went to so i wasn't even in the right area in my head the whole time up there and i'm telling you i got the five hour freaking audio i'll send it to you dude it's insane they never talk about this the whole way up so i didn't have any knowledge beforehand i didn't have any knowledge on the way up once we got up into Elk Rapids, that's when they start talk. Adam started talking about her address. Okay, we're still, you know we're looking for a house. Still doesn't seem weird. Governor Whitmer, boom. That's when we're, even right now hearing that I get fuzzy and my gut just drops. That's when I realized what was actually happening, and I didn't know the severity of stuff. You know, like I just know that they said we're you know scoping out a house. Governor Whitmer, boom. That's scary. Then they start talking about more stuff. Now I'm sitting in the back. Dan was a professional door kicker for the military. Uh, he was a forward observer. If, let me, if you don't know what that is, people, that is somebody who goes behind enemy lines and lights them up with the laser so artillery can take them out. This guy would—he did dangerous work. He's a combat veteran. He showed video. He was legitimate. You know, so yeah, I'm worried. These guys just came from my house. They know where you know I live, where my mom is, where my kids are at. Um. You know, they're talking about this stuff. This guy's a professional shit kicker with a gun. Adam is a steroid person, you know, and he's got a gun. As far as I knew at that point, I'm fucking scared. Yes, I have my gun on me. And this got brought up too. Why do, well, you know, why were you so worried you had your gun? Bro, because I got a gun, I want to shoot somebody? No, man, that's the last thing I want to do. I had to sit back and behind these guys and think about that. Like, how does this go down if I if I have to do something? And that hurt me having to think about hurt somebody else. But if I had to, I have to. One of the things that I thought about was, you know, do I tell them I got to go to the bathroom, go into a fucking gas station, call the cops, and then what, cops show up, now there's a gunfight, are innocent people going to get shot, or police officers going to die? So in the moment, with no training, no backup, no funding, no expo plan, like all the FBI had in their CHSs, I had fucking nothing. You know, I had to figure out in the moment how to survive. I can't tell them, no, I'm not cool with this. Please stop and drop me off. How far are they willing to go to keep me quiet? They just talked about kidnapping and whatever else right in front of me. No, man, uh, I'm not going to let on that I'm not okay. So when they finally found and, the house, they did and before, before we go any further in this this conversation, because this is actually fascinating stuff, and I and I absolutely agree with all the things that you're you're working through, this is the the inner workings that they would, they would normally have to say, this is your intent. And your intent is, it sounds like very different. Um, you were acquitted of all this stuff. That's what's really wild. Yes. 
So because they, I did not have because this is this has already come out and this has already been put in front of a jury. So we're telling your story after the fact. I just want to put that out there for people. You're going through this. This has already been ruled on. This is not like a fantasy. This is not pending. This is done. This has already been uh, looked at by a jury. So keep telling the story. But as people do that, I want them to have that in their head as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, not guilty by all 12. So that says a lot. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, yeah, so I have to sit there and think about so much stuff. I can't even tell you everything that I thought about um, time stopped. I did you know, like people were like, well, how long between this and that, you know, did that happen? Dude, time didn't matter. I didn't give a fuck about 10 minutes, five minutes. My life is on the line. Dude, it was eternity. Let me tell you how long it was. It was a fucking eternity. Okay. Uh, these guys, they finally found her. Uh, found the address. So they drove all the way from Lansing with no address. Okay. They were not planned. They didn't have it planned out. This was not legitimate. Um, they were up there just fucking off, but found the address. How did they find it? Do you, do you have any idea? Um, there was another gentleman, Sean Fix, who got real close, real close. It was like, he was like a number off or whatever. But um, Adam eventually ended up hunting it down completely, I believe, on Dan's phone. Because Adam didn't want to use his phone. He was paranoid about it, so he used Dan's phone. Which is weird, because we don't have a phone dump of Dan's phone. Anyways. Oh, the, the CHS uh, didn't get a phone dump? Weird. Okay. No. No. Even though his phone was used for these commissions. You know what I'm saying? And probably paid for with FBI dollars, based on the way we do it. But yep. that's cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, he got a truck and a house and all sorts of shit out of this. A laptop, a watch, a nice watch. No, um, shit. Where was I, man? Uh, they're driving around. You guys find the address. You're looking it up on Dan's phone. Keep going. Yep. So they actually found the address. Uh, we went down the road a couple of times, and uh, when Adam first saw it, man, he was super excited. You know, so that's it. And I forget exactly what he said, but he was so excited. Again, very childlike in nature. This is not something that lends credence to somebody who's serious about doing this sort of operation. Like, this is heavy. This isn't something that's a joke. You don't sit there and fucking laugh about it and, you know, get all excitable like a child. Throughout this ride, my threat level, like, I did feel it come down, right? It's not like life and death, life and death the whole way through the ride life and death. And it did start to wane just based off stuff I was seeing and hearing. So Adam acting that way, one of two times I saw Dan roll his eyes because he kind of like cockeyed over to Adam when he was acting crazy and rolled his eyes, which I could see from where I was at. It's, it's like, okay, so he, the, the dichotomy there, he's not completely in line with Adam and Adam's acting this way. This guy's quiet, barely saying anything. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like he was on board. It seemed more like he was kind of playing along with Adam and, you know, making Adam, you know, okay, let's play your game sort of thing, which he did. Now we know why. So, you know, this, this is just everything I have in my head at this time. I got to go through as an untrained person, man. Apparently I did everything right though, because I hear the FBI and the CHS is talking about why they did what they did. And I'm like, fuck, I had to figure that out in the moment, man. But um, <laughs> anyways, on one of the rides, they, um, Adam was like, hey, Barricade, I need you to do me a favor. I'm like what? You know, he said, I need to take a slow-mo video. Fuck, man. You kidding me? I'm sitting there quiet. And again, okay, one more time. Stuff, they, they call you barricade. Is that correct? Yeah. That's your yeah. nickname. Okay. That's, that's barricade. Yep. Or, or call sign. Um, that's all right. Call signs are always kind of funny. And then, yeah. um, he's, who's asking you specifically to take the video? Adam Fox did. Okay. So Adam is, and he's not cooperating with this. He's just excited. Cause he's like a kid in a candy store. He's getting to do a mish. 
he's getting to do a mission, dude. That's what he was so excited about the whole time. And when you read the text between him and Dan or him and other people, like he's so excited. Oh, you know, we do so much recon. We've done tons of recon in the past month. Like he's so, he's just bloviating. Like you would, never heard before this guy's not serious dude we have an innocent idiot sitting in print i hate calling him an idiot because i don't really think anyways he got set up he should not be in prison none of these guys should um but anyway so yeah he asked me to take the slow-mo video he didn't ask me to shoot somebody there was no talk about blowing things up well he didn't ask me to blow anything up those two would have been hard notes i would have had to have taken a stand even at the risk of my own life i cannot I cannot do those things. Uh, I just, I don't have it in me. So you know, he asked me to take a video, man. Fuck. Yes. I took a video. I got home to my kids. People were like, Oh, you know, why would you do that? Why, why didn't you just say no? Because I wanted to get home to my kids. So he said video fucking a right, dude. Here you go. I took a video. I didn't pan it on anything. I didn't scope one thing out as we drove by. He said, put it up the window. I put it up to the window and we drove by. You know, unlike the FBI, who, when they took pictures of the uh, Mackinac place for them, they got avenues of approach from all different angles, paths through trees, the walls. They got a padlock on a fucking gate, um, you know, all different ways to get in. It was crazy the depth that they went into, you know, and previous oh, to the video, Adam asked Because infill and exfill is what we do. If you're going to go and approach a target, you want to know your routes in, your routes out, what your contingencies are. I used to do this for a living. I was a, you know, I was a surveillance guy. So I, I spent three years in a car looking, what are the pitfalls? What are the, where's, where's the automatic lights? Where are the, uh, where are the surveillance cameras? What avenues are you not going to be seen in? Where can you park a car and not be you know bothered? Where can you yep. set a lookout? All the things that we do, we do this for a living. So that's not crazy to me to yep. think that somebody from the FBI would know how to do that. Like SWAT does it every, every time they do a hit, every time they do it, they send somebody out, they do a recon on the thing. It doesn't take forever. You don't get excited about yep. it. It's just work. You just go take pictures. It's not a big deal. So then when you're taking a picture for supposed terrorists, why wouldn't you just take a couple of pictures and say, hey, here's what we got for you? Why would you go through all the ins and outs and make it as professional as possible? Because the guy that um, supposedly took the picture, his legend was that he was a janitor, right? How would he know to do all that stuff? Well, he did not actually do it. The FBI did it, handed it to him, then he gave it over to these guys. So that's how that played out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how much up. uh today looking back you go okay um i'm being set up by the feds when this is happening and it looks really obvious at that time i don't think anybody had that instinct i, I think three years after the fact you guys were kind of the canary in the coal mine in many ways most people now if somebody says something like even even like a january 6 people are calling fed 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 at uh at ray apps right I mean, yep. you, you can't get away with this stuff today in the way that they did it, but it was so blatant in some ways. People would call it Fed jacketing. They would call it, uh, you know, they would call you a narc. They would call you uh, some kind of, a, they, everyone thinks it's a setup now. You can't, I don't think you could do any of this stuff today just because of the way that your story got so big. No, you, you couldn't. It never would have worked anyways. That's the thing. This stuff was never serious. You know, if you are serious, why would you just, so this one thing that they kept talking about was OPSEC, because that's one of the um, one of the things in the law is if they try to avoid apprehension, right? So OPSEC, they kept talking about this. Here's another military term that, you know, tough militia guys like to throw out there, dude, is operational security. So something like going on to encrypted apps, everything's fucking encrypted. So no matter what you talk on, you have just participated in OPSEC. You have committed a one element of a felony, Okay. The laws, especially in Michigan, after 9-11, in Michigan, we adopted 
I mean, the Patriot Act, damn near the Patriot Act, but on the state level. There's a reason that all this stuff went down in Michigan as opposed to any of the other states that were supposedly involved with this, because no other states had the laws on the book that would allow the government to come after an average person like this. So it had to happen in Michigan. And no one can convince me otherwise, because we, we have some pretty messed up laws. It, so, yeah, yeah. I forgot where I was going with all well, that. You did the, you were telling us about the video. You're telling you hold it up to the screen. You're ready to get home to your kids. I get all that stuff. Keep walking yep. through what, where this trip is about. Yep. So, um, oh, previous to that, there was something else that happened. We ended up going to a diner, uh, a bar to get, to get something to eat. When we got out of the truck, Dan mentioned about, you know, it's a bar. We don't, I don't know if we can take our guns in there. And even though I was pretty sure that we were okay, as long as we sat away from the bar area, I'm, that is the law you know just him saying that because he was an rso before range safety officer mm -hmm. so he knows a lot about guns i was like you know i don't want to mess with that either so uh, up until that point nobody even knew i had a gun on me that's when i took it out you know um and stowed it in his vehicle so we could go in mm -hmm. that's when adam claimed he didn't have a gun on him so whether he did or didn't i didn't know but uh yeah so we we went in then when we left that's the ride afterward that I ended up taking the video. Um, they went over to a boat launch and tried to find her place from across the boat launch. Um, shit, man. Again, I'm rabbit trailing. At the freaking diner, Adam was making a map. Dan had given him the paper and the pen and was co um, coaching him. They were, he, it was his idea to find where the um, like police were at. And so they had miles away and everything on this map. Again, in the audio, I, you don't hear me say anything. about. I'm sitting there minding my own damn business. I don't want to be a part of anything. I'm not in the truck acting all excited. Like, oh, yeah, man, I can't wait to do this. I'm not one of these guys. I barely know Adam, dude. I want everybody to know this. I was not a part of any group. Wolverine, Watchmen, Second Continental, Militia, the U.S., um, you name it. I was not a part of any group. I did not know anybody. I knew Adam barely i got wrapped up out of the 14 guys i never went to any meetings i didn't help with any planning i got duped into a fucking ride you know what i mean and just because of everything that i was involved in i ended up rubbing shoulders with other people who are very very similarly minded you know we're not exactly thinking the same obviously but we're very similarly minded you know and that's how easy it was for me to get wrapped up in this i got duped on a ride so adam not being an agent of the state or chs um, I did not get entrapped because no Fed or CHS asked me to do this. And it wasn't uh, duress because nobody overtly threatened me. So I fall in this niche where I don't even have a defense other than, yeah, I took the video, but I didn't want to. <laughs> and everybody's like, you know how dumb that sounds? I'm like, I'm going to fuck what you think. Seriously, three years, I never once asked my attorney, do you believe me? Do you believe me? I never asked one person. Three years, if I if anybody believed me. I don't need anybody else to believe me. I know that I did not go out to hurt anybody. I don't need anybody else to believe that shit. I I'm just going to ask people to kind of, in our audience, just to take a second and as we kind of digest where we're at here with this. But I can, I can probably think of a half dozen instances in my own life. And uh, and we talked before we, we started taping here. Um, you know, if you're a young man... If you're if you're a man man of any man <laughs> of any age and you don't look back and go like there's been a one or two times when I've been either in a car or at a table or around a group of guys talking about something that seemed like it it was off and you're like man this is not my jam this is not what I'm about 
but you're not going to just step up. We're, we're sort of socially conditioned, both as men and also as just as human beings, to not rock boats. There's a reason why a lot of atrocities have happened. It's because people don't throw the BS flag. And there's a reason why a lot of people end up sitting in places going like, I don't think this is really what I'm about, but there's no overt threat at that moment. And, and afterwards, you look back at it a couple of years later and you go like, man, I'm really glad I got out of that okay. I'm really glad that this didn't go the way it could have gone. I now have some wisdom, some some space. And I go, man, that, that could have gone really sideways. Like we could have, those guys could have robbed a bank and I would have been in the car with them. Those guys could have run over that lady and like they thought it was funny and I didn't know if they were serious or not. Or you take your pick. Uh, my friends got into a car drunk, whatever it was. Like everybody's got that story. And that story for you, is what you just told me. I can sense it. I mean, I know where it is. I, I know what that feels like. I've been in a car yep. where you, you just go like, this might not turn out well. I'm really glad. And when it didn't, when it turns out well, you're like, I'm really glad it didn't go the way it could have gone. I'm glad I didn't have to yep. run out of there or shoot my way out of it or fight my way out of it or escape and be out in the woods by myself, like trying to figure out how to get home with no phone. Like these, this happens. It's just by good. That's like a regular, as a, there's a guy who's a special forces guy. He's a former Delta force guy and he calls it regular dude shit. And like, it's like regular dude shit. Like sometimes, are Men just serious? do dumb things, right? It's just dumb. And you just go like, God, I'm glad I got out of that. Yeah. It's hard for anybody. And, and I imagine if you're a woman, that's not a thing that you've experienced nearly as much. I just, I don't know. I'm not a woman and I, and I wouldn't pretend to know. But I imagine even women have a moment in their life where they're like, I shouldn't have gotten that car and I'm glad it worked out okay. My wife has told me stories about getting into a subway car and getting out of it and being like really glad it Oh. Well, he'll be back, my friend. There he is. Oh, there I am. Yeah, I just disappeared. We'll just call that the NSA kicking in on our, our piece. Uh, sometimes things are weird. Okay, so you're, you're in a weird diner. They're they're talking about stuff. Adam's childishly excited about it, which is not that that's like cosplay stuff to me. You know, just being honest yeah. about it. It's it's LARPing to me. Oh, you got to watch LARPing. That's a red flag word. I think you're the one that actually exposed that. That's one of the words on the list. Is it LARPing? Yeah. Interesting. LARPing. Tell me, tell me why that is. I, I call the guys who do Antifa LARPers. They look like LARPers to me. I've seen them through night vision fighting with cops and they think that they're like battling, you know, evil dragons and stuff. Like they're all dressed up in costumes anyway. So I always think LARPing is just, you know, it's just silliness, but why was that? Why was that uh flag? Do you think? Oh, uh, because apparently the government's trying to get a, a head start on certain words that can be used. So LARPing, live action role playing, um, either has been or possibly could be used to describe an FTX. Interesting. And, uh, okay. That may, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. And that may have been on that militia violent extremist list. I, I don't have all the details of it in the top of my head. The thing that drove me the most nuts was essentially kind of like what you were involved in. There's a group called American Contingency. You ever heard of that? Fuck, it sounds familiar. It, it's Mike Glover, who's a former Green Beret and a former CIA contractor and like an American hero. Oh, yeah. He created American Contingency. It was just an online group for people to basically get together and find out who has a generator and who wants to share food prepping skills and who knows how to use an IFAC yeah, and so on. Yeah, and they, and they went after him and called him a, a militia group with a low history of violence, even though his history of violence is zero. So when we talk about the FBI lying about this stuff, I mean, I, I've seen it firsthand that it exists. It's out there. And I've been personally offended on behalf of guys like Mike Glover, who I have a... Um, an acquaintance with and Mike Glover's a really nice guy and I, I everything he puts out seems to be interested in patriotism just keeping people safe yeah and in the eventual in the eventual unfortunately uh you know event that you're either dealing with a physical or a geopolitical emergency yep 
All right. All right. I don't want to take away from your story. You're, you're, you're at the diner. Tell me where you want to go with this. Uh, you, you guys, you took the video, you got called out for that sort of thing. How was the ride home for that? Um, before we get to that, though, mm -hmm. because we did end up going over to that uh, boat launch. And Dan, the CHS, tried to say he's got pictures of Adam. Also, he's got pictures at the diner. There's a reason he doesn't have pictures of me helping out. It's because I wasn't. There's was nothing to take a picture of. Over at the uh, boat launch, I stayed over by the vehicle, and I have an overhead view of this boat launch, which I can also send you so you can see where the hell I was at. I was mm -hmm. like 60, 70 feet away from these two. He's got pictures of Adam looking across, you know, trying to find her place. Why are there pictures of me? Oh, again, I'm not into this shit. I stayed right the fuck away. Dan tried to say that I was standing behind him reading a sign. So you didn't even box off. I'm standing behind you. You didn't even try to take, you know, an angle. So you keep both of us in your sight. You let me stand behind you. Are you kidding me? You know that I'm armed and I'm this bad guy and whatnot. What a liar, dude. I don't even let people stand behind me. I know better. You know, mm -hmm. what a liar. So anyways, that's why he doesn't have a picture of me because I also wasn't a part of that. So then the ride home, um, before we actually left, uh, it was brought up to go look at the police again. And I did bring up at one point, it was just something to add to make it seem like, hey, you know, he he's kind of cool, but only because they had mentioned it previously. So it was something I could say. I was like, hey, cool, you know, like, because I'm sitting there quiet. I'm like, fuck, I got to say something. They're going to get suspicious. Again, I'm trying to figure shit out. So I did mention the police. Yeah. Anyways, they were going to do it anyways, because at the beginning, before they even left Grand Rapids, they brought it up. They brought it up up there. I just kind of reiterated the thing, because, again, you can't just sit there, right? Right. You're going to be suspicious. Everybody knows this. Everyone's looking so for a spot to fed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, we went and sat there for a second and then went for the ride home. And no shit, dude, the whole ride home, it was not talked about. There was a couple of times where um, Adam asked me, you know, are you in? And I said, you know, uh, or no, do you want to be a driver or a medic? And instead of saying yes or a hard no, I just avoided it. I was like, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I don't even know what's happening. I'm hearing bits and pieces. And this is after everything, which should show you I don't have any foreknowledge on this crap. And this is all recorded, of course. Yes, yes, it is. I got the whole five-hour ride, man. So, Anyways, I'm telling him I'm only getting bits and pieces, and I did not commit. I refused to commit. I was always noncommittal in any answer I gave because I refused to say yes, and I sure as hell refused to say no. So what did the FBI do to get me actually in trouble? They took that. It was four and a half hours from the beginning of the tape, right? They put it back right after Adam made the comment about we're going to blow up her boat, the joke. And they said that um, this part happened one minute afterwards, which would say to you that I had knowledge of what was going to happen before we went up. So the judge signed off on my warrant under the impression that I had foreknowledge and therefore intent. This is how I got wrapped up. So even though I do do things that average people don't do, like I'm involved with civil defense forces, the militias, and this and that, I'm actually working with the police and with feds. This is not average person stuff. I do find myself in situations that the average person doesn't, you know, um, See, again, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing here. There's so much jumbled up in my head that, that my mouth can only get out a little bit at a time, dude. And I get so far ahead of myself. But, yeah, I didn't know anything. I had no intent. I had no knowledge. And, but that's that's one of the things they did to get me wrapped up. They completely manipulated in life. Agent Impola did that. Him and Jason Chambers worked together on this. They were uh, partners. Chambers did over, I think he did 215 reports. Agent Impola 
five reports. And he couldn't get this one right. Oh, it was a typo. When we were when they tried to bring it up in court at the trial, my attorney jumped up and said, wait, before you do that, you might want to look at that. Because Bill and I had went through the whole ride the weekend before. So we knew exactly where everything was at. Mm-hmm. And we hear this, we're like, oh, say something. So he's like, you guys might want to stop and check your timestamps. No shit, man. They said, we've been sitting on this for three years. We know what we're doing. And they played it in front of the jury. They played, so, so they played like a, like a two minute clip that had 60 seconds here and 60 seconds, four hours later and acted like they were concurrent. Yes, they sure as hell did. Okay. So my attorney jumped up and of course objected and we went to lunch. The judge was like, well, lunch break during lunch. The prosecution actually, actually went over it. They had to come back with their heads down tails tucked between their legs. Like, well, Mr. Burnett, Mr. Melito were right. You know, it, it did happen four and a half hours afterwards. It was a typo. Impolis said, you got five fucking reports. My life's worth a typo. Dude, you lying sack of shit. So he was no. quoting from what? His his uh, FD-302, the, the testimonial document, describing what that CHS report was? Is that what where the typo was supposedly in? Oh. You said a lot of things there. Sorry. So the I... FD, the, usually when you write up what happens, <laughs> there's two ways that the FBI writes up um, reporting. If it comes from a source, it can either be from a 1023, that's the source CHS report, that's when you debrief the CHS, or you might do something that's a testimonial document, and those are usually called 302s, and that's like the agent writes up, like, on this day, so-and-so went there, you know, CHS reported that he did this, blah, 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 he said this thing, five seconds later, he said this thing, and it's written up in typed form. That's what we were dealing with? That that sounds more like it. Okay. So those are, theoretically, they're testimonial documents. When you sign them, you are swearing and attesting that they are true. Your supervisor signs them and reviews them. Uh, they may or may not include the audio. If there's audio, they're supposed to. It's supposed to go into like a, a file. And so all this stuff came along, and he supposedly made the mistake of saying these two statements were back-to-back, even though he would have had to cut them out of five hours of tape? Yes. You know what we call that in the business? Yeah. What? That's called giglio material. That's when you lie under oath, and then every every time afterwards, you're supposed to have to tell the prosecutors that are trying to, if you're trying to bring a case that you have now been involved in an adjudicated lie where you lied under oath, it's usually supposed to end your career just for what it's worth. This kind of, so here's the thing. These things make me sick. And the reason why they make me sick is because if this case is so important to you to get it right and you don't care what's true, wouldn't it be better for you to just know what's true? And you go, look, uh, we investigated. There's no threat. Hooray. America's safe. We did our job. Or you say there is a threat and we found out what it is. Hooray, America is safe. The end result for the people is what it's supposed to be about. This is why I don't work at the FBI anymore. It turns out I actually I actually got really proud of, of uh, doing a case where I found out that the person was accused of doing something, child molestation, it turned out, um, and he didn't do it. And we were able to pretty much conclusively identify that this guy who was alleged to be a child sex predator was in fact not doing that. He was actually doing something that wasn't bad at all. It looked horrible. But once you had oh. the full facts, you exonerate somebody. That's called exculpatory evidence. Finding exculpatory evidence is just as good as finding incriminating evidence for me. I wasn't allowed to bring anything in on my behalf. Anything that could counter what they said, yeah. I wasn't allowed to bring in. It got to the point where um, the defense or the prosecution, when they were bringing in their exhibits, they get somebody like, oh, we're not going to put that in. And then so my attorney, I wanted everything. I said, open everything up. And then we will explain it as we go. So my attorney took everything that they didn't want out of their own evidence. And we brought it in as the, as the defense. 
yeah. exhibits. So they don't so have to, to they don't have to ruin their own case, but bringing a case that's weak that has a lot of exculpatory information is stupid. I don't understand why anyone want to do it. And it, and it leads to the political motives that are behind, you know, that what has destroyed your life at least for the last couple of years. It's why I think the yeah. story is so important. And and the fact that you were acquitted is the icing on the cake. But what's that? Sorry, man. I got, I got to tell you this because okay, um, we go, were go. talking yeah. about your, the Giglio <laughs> stuff there. So Impala, because you said that that's lying under oath. So Agent Impala, um, it's recorded talking to one of the CHSs involved in this, Dan, uh, um, Robeson. His last name is Robeson. He's from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He is a multi felon from a couple different states. He has felonies in a couple different states. He's been used by the FBI multiple times to be a CHS. He was a double agent in this case. So while he was working for the FBI, he was also working for the bad guys and trying to, and telling them, Hey, watch out for, you know, there's feds involved and they're about to be doing raids and stuff. Well, he ended up talking to a FBI guy or a CHS and that's how he ended up getting busted. He was busted with a 50 caliber rifle. Mm -hmm. He had during this time bought a pistol off another CHS. They didn't supposedly didn't know about each other. Right. Um, He's a felon. So his admonishments, he should not have had that. Well, uh, he was let go on the pistol because even though he bought it, um, he bought it for his wife. So his intent was not for him to have it. Get out of here, dude. So they let that one go. The reason they came down on him is because he was starting to talk about killing the um, CHS Dan with a 50 cal. What did he get busted with? A 50 cal. This was a double agent. Agent Impala, it's recorded, telling him, don't let the story or don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. He was one of the leads on this case, and it's reported him saying it to this guy. So there's that. It's so troubling because it shows an obvious motive. It shows the impetus to go and do this thing regardless of what. Like, that's not what your oath says you're supposed to do. That's not what that's not what law enforcement is about. The law enforcement is you go find out what the truth is. You bring it in front of the jury. The jury decides whether you win or you lose. Like, do you know how much more money an agent gets if their uh, their case goes to trial and they uh, have an acquittal, like in your case? No, uh-huh. none. They don't get any money. You know what happens if you were found guilty? Uh-huh. Nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like you don't get paid by the case. You don't get paid by the acquittal. You don't get paid by the guilty verdict. Uh-huh. None of these things are relevant. It's not how you get paid. Your job is to go out and do an investigation that's fair. You're supposed to find out as much of the information as you can. You present it to the attorney. The attorney decides whether to charge or not. And then the jury decides whether you're innocent or you're guilt or you're not guilty. That's it. Or they you don't know, do innocent. Obviously, they say not guilty, or they say that you're guilty. So they don't. They don't find innocence, right? They find they acquit yeah, you of the charges. But it's it's crazy. They get paid though. I mean, it, it might not be extra money. It might not be a bonus. But all everybody moved up. Impolo went from Flint to Detroit. Sunita Dotamani. She was one of the original prosecutors. She ended up moving up. Um, you know, so she got a promotion out of this. One of the original prosecutors, Gregory Townsend, was actually kicked off of this case because uh, when it first got brought up, it was found that he had lied and got um, this guy locked up for 14 years. This guy's now out. He was locked up, uh, wrongly accused and convicted of setting his house on fire, murdering his fucking children. Can you imagine being accused of murdering your children? Having I'd sit in prison because I got nothing left. And once my kids are gone, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, man, like you can't ruin me more than that. But the fact an innocent person, because this guy wanted to lie, he used a, um, a corrupt snitch, like like FBI does, right? So he had to get booted off the case. He was allowed to actually step out of his position. I'm pretty sure he's got his pension and everything else. He was allowed to step down. 
And this is what our system is like. Sunita Dodamani got her um, promotion before this case finished. It's so important to you. It's so personal to you that you're not even going to see it through to the end and, and ride the accolades out. Like, really, dude? Everybody got promoted. Um, Dan Tuono, we all know where he ended up, and he's the one that um, was you know, the head during when this first opened up. Everybody got promoted, dude. So, no, they didn't get uh, a check. Um, they get a continual check with continual bump and pay. Isn't that something? It's not how it's supposed to work, but it is uh, It is something that we saw, and I think that's, what's so, that's what has been so offensive to many Americans. Uh, you mentioned Steve D'Antuano. So for folks that don't know, he was the special agent in charge of the Detroit field office, which was responsible for running this case. I don't think he had a lot of hands on it, but he would have been briefed on it because it would have been a higher tiered threat. And then, uh, yeah, he ended up at the Washington field office as the assistant director in charge, which would have been, uh, yeah, that was my boss for a little while. And then, uh, interestingly, he took a job, the assistant director in charge, which is a rocket fuel position for people who work in the FBI, and he retired from it sort of suddenly. Yeah. And now he's been talking about, oh, well, maybe the pipe bombs weren't real in Washington, D.C. on January 6th and this and that. And suddenly I think he's caught in a bear trap as well. Um, I don't know what sort of lies he got involved in. He also has come out and said that he was uh, against raiding Miralago. So that's kind of interesting. He's changed a lot of his tunes now that he doesn't work there and he's gone out into a, uh, a big accounting job because he was an accountant. And he worked with one of my buddies, the original producer of my podcast. And um, we don't think very kindly of Steve D'Antuano. He's kind of a coward on every level, yes. kind of a, a gutless fish. And uh, now he works for KPMG, which is one of the big accounting firms in the world. So everybody got a bonus. Everybody got bumped up. Everybody got promoted, uh, except except Chambers. He didn't. He, he had some problems. Yeah. You want to talk about him? I don't really know that much um, about Chambers, except for he also is a liar. I'm sorry, man. Anybody who's in the FBI right now, you're you're all bad guys, man. Right now, like I will back any law enforcement that is a good guy that will stand up against their fellow, you know, uh, employees that are coworkers that are bad people. You have the civilians behind you. We will back you. We want you, but you have to step up. Who gives a fuck if if you you know? So you're gonna be looked down on by your peers. I'm telling you right now, they're not your peers. They are criminals. They are beneath you. Rise above them because if you're a good law enforcement person and you know about them, you don't say anything, you are just as guilty as they are. But I'm telling you from firsthand experience, being around militias, the way that guys talk where when you know nobody else is listening, we need law enforcement. We respect law enforcement, but we we cannot stand behind cowards. So you brought up the word coward, all these motherfuckers are cowards. If you're not, then say something. You know, the one like you. Where are you at now? Because you, you said something. Thank you for saying something, man. You and Mr. Friend, thank you for doing this. And everybody else who has, we got your back. And now, unfortunately, you're not in the positions we need you in. We need <laughs> that's you. something. Yeah, this may be more important, though, it turns out, because uh, we can still tell the story. and It still hurts the feelings. Uh, you mentioned Steve Friend, who people will see on Fridays uh, on my show. We do a regular segment, Friendly Friday. Uh, so he doesn't look very friendly. Steve's not necessarily that friendly to most people. He's a really serious dude. And, uh, and he takes his oath really seriously and he takes his country seriously. So that's kind of the nature of what we all thought we were getting in. Uh, it turns out that when you have an organization full of people that are not that serious and are interested in federal law enforcement cosplay, and they're happy to set people up into, into ugly things. Look, I work domestic terrorism cases. I've worked international terrorism cases on the surveillance end of it. So they were not my cases, but I got briefed on them. And they are almost always, I've told this to Julie Kelly many times, and I don't know if you've seen her coverage, but she was obviously very big on covering down on the, on the Whitmer case. And you know, it's like they are morally equivalent to entrapment, whether or not they meet the legal definition or not, because they are dragging people into a place that everybody like a you and a me and a regular dude would look at it and go, that's entrapping somebody. Why? 
Why is that allowed? But there is a legal definition that is not the same definition that you would walk around and think of what entrapment is if you were to watch a police show, let's say, right? Oh, you just kicked the nest right there, dude. Yep. It's, it's hard to watch from the outside because I've seen these and you go, how are you feeling good about doing this case? And the best thing about it for most people that they don't realize, almost all of the domestic terrorism cases and almost all of the international terrorism cases the FBI works never result in charges. They're just a money pot of funding for surveillance teams, funding for equipment, funding for putting a CHS together, funding for giving money to the CHS, funding left and left and right. We write it up for as long as you can do it. Man, you know what's better than a, a case that gets charged like yours? A case that never gets charged and just has unlimited potential for writing up paperwork nope. for as long as possible. Nope. That's got to stop. That's what they love. That's what they do. It's, I mean, it's a money pit. The Congress says, do you know that uh, in, in 2022, the FBI forecasted to Congress that they were going to find 600 terrorist plots and they were going to disrupt them. They forecasted that. You know how many they actually found? None. 397. Liars. So last year, you have to believe that the FBI found 397 terrorist plots and disrupted them. That means they found one every single day of the year, twice on all the Sundays. And that's how many terrorist <laughs> plots were disrupted in America. Can you believe that? No, I don't. Liars. How many, how many disruptions, how many people were arrested in the, in the Whitmer situation that, that you knew or didn't know? Um, half of the group, so 14, because the other 14 were feds and CHSs. <laughs> so 14 disruptions, that's what they claimed from that. 14 terrorist plots disrupted. Each, each one of those arrests is a disruption, as long as they do them on different what? days. Fuckers. <laughs> Isn't that something? I mean, doesn't that change just the way that you look at all of it? Dude, I have... I haven't been warped. I've actually been, I had my eyes open to it and things aren't surprising me that much anymore. I used to idolize my government, man. I love my country, but this government's not what was intended and they are evil. Let's, uh, let's talk about the mindset change. I think that's probably a good place to land some of this, uh, you know, this, this thought process. You, you've given people a little taste about what you were experiencing, some of the things that were going on in your head. I'd like to talk about what the lingering effects are of going through a trial where you're accused of doing something that you've been acquitted of now? Um, so I thought it would get easier afterwards. I thought the, like the paranoia and the anxiety would go away, but actually it's gotten, it's actually gotten worse. So at the beginning of this, I mentioned that I get anxiety at the beginning of every interview. It's the same anxiety I get when I see a cop car. It's the same anxiety I get when I hear a helicopter go over my house or I see a car that's not, um, pop, you know, we don't see on our road because we live on a kind of dirt road there. Um, I am paranoid as hell. Uh, I've been warned to actually my attorney, God bless his soul here. He he told me, keep your fucking head down. He said the feds can still come after you. So here's a two stage, um, system, right? I was found not guilty in the state. If the feds wanted to pick me up on the same exact charges, they can, because it's not double, double jeopardy. I want to point out, um, this is one of the things I've learned that they will use the system um, to make sure that you can't have anybody speak on your behalf. So they used the threat of being a non-indicted um, co-conspirator against other people who were willing to testify on our behalves. Adam Fox himself was willing to come and testify on my behalf until he was threatened. Um, and, and of course, it's not a straight threat, but you know what it means. The prosecution told his attorney, we will get him um, a state attorney 
um, for coming back. And you might want to tell him to keep his mouth shut. He's an unindicted co-conspirator. So all of a sudden, Adam says, I, I can't do it. He's already doing 16 years. Why would he do another 20? And I couldn't blame him for that. But yeah, they manipulate, they lie. Now let my attorney get a hold of a witness against me and say, you know, we got some dirt on you. If you testify, we're going to throw it up. That's witness tampering. But nope, not when the not when the state does it or the feds. So um, I'm completely disillusioned and and just separated from my my the current government just because I know who and what they are now a little bit. Um, I'm scared dang near all the time. Um, the other day I did have a helicopter go over my house at like 2 a.m. It was low enough to rattle the house, so I ran upstairs and I stood out on the porch, waiting for an MRAP to pull up again with another 40 agents to get me. So I stood on the porch and I was waiting. I don't even know how long I was out there until I realized I was waiting for him to come get me. It's like, this is fucking stupid. Then I got mad. Uh, I was already afraid of him. So I'm an innocent person afraid of my government. I'm pissed. You know, how, how it's affected me now, I'm, I'm willing to fight him. You know, I'm, I'm getting into politics. I already have representatives willing to back me. Um, I, I've got a lot of things going forward. I've got some good ideas. I've seen things that most people have not, and I know things that need to be changed for, for our benefit. You know, um, Charlie LaDuff, I did a short interview with him, and he asked me, you know, well, do you know about this? Do you know about that? And I'm like, shit, man, no, you got me. I don't know. I'm highly underqualified for what I want to do on that aspect, but let me tell you something right here. Gretchen Whitmer knows this stuff. Dana Nestle knows this stuff. Look at the job they're doing. I'm coming in with compassion and heart for the people. And I, I'm telling you, George Washington didn't, you know, do the stuff he did uh, with a whole bunch of knowledge of our system because we didn't have a system. He He's younger than you. People. You know, was he? Really? he oh, oh, yeah, yeah. he was. Think oh, about yeah. it. When, when he took on the, when he started fighting the French Indians, he was like 21 years old. Get out of here, dude. Kids. But that's what they had to do. Here we are with adults. Get informed, man. This is the thing that people need to realize. Our system's set up for the individual. Like, you matter, dude. I matter only because your board of commissioners. There's one. That's local. You can go. You can get your um, issues heard. You can help vote on things, and they actually listen to you. I helped push the um, two-way resolution here in Wexford. We got it past 9-0. to zero. You know, um, I'm, and that was before the raid. I'm all about doing things the legal way. I was beforehand. I was lied about, and... Yeah, I probably rabbit trailed again, Ani. I'm sorry, man. You're fine. You're, you're, I, I think that's all from the heart. I think that's all real. What about uh, what about your employment now? You, you're you know you've had this basically hanging over your head for a couple of years. You still have the federal thing that they could kind of they would have to look at what happened and, and decide whether they want to play this game again. Maybe a federal jury is different, but it's in the same state, so it'd be the same types of people. Um, what uh, what has that done for your life today? Like, what are you doing? What are you working? You know, what's your plan? Um. So currently I'm not working. I have quite a few prospects and I'm having issues being around like crowds of people or even a number of people right now. I am seeking help for this. It's just from what the people said when I went in for an intake, they said it's PTSD. Um, I don't throw that around lightly because like that's a serious thing, but everything I said, they're like, dude, you're, you, you need some help for that. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping to get, uh, you know, obviously get a job. I'm just worried about, I, I don't even know what I'm worried about. <laughs> I don't know what I'm worried about. It, it doesn't make sense. Like, I, I sound fucking crazy. I feel crazy. But I'm just trying to work through it, man. I don't know. I'm not working. I'm trying I'm trying to get a job. And you're sitting right now in I your guess. brother's gun shop, yeah? Yes. How's your family handle all this? 
Um, they were affected too. You know what I mean? It wasn't just me that got affected by this. Uh, when we got raided, actually, we were having a family get together. So there was a whole bunch of us. Uh, the feds pointed guns at my kids. I'm talking little, little kids. They put my mom in handcuffs. They put all the adults in handcuffs. They ruined stuff. There's a few things they did that was really cool. They turned our food off and actually wrapped up, put it in the fridge for us. They walked our pit mix out to her kennel instead of shooting her. You know, these are all worries that we we heard about. When you know, when you get raided, they kill your dog. They didn't kill our dog, man. Like we we're so grateful for that because we love our animals. But you know, it was terrifying. So they have PTSD. There's been some experiences in our family previously that have, you know, we've been hurt. My family's been hurt. This didn't help, man. Everybody's messed up. We're all working through it. I guess that's the short answer. We're all we're all affected. And we're all hurt. It makes sense to me. Where do you see this going? By the way, I empathize with everything you just said. I've I've stood outside. I've, you know, made sure I was unarmed and, and been in a place where I could be easily accessed because I have the same thoughts. And, and that's a terrible feeling to think that your government may come for you when, especially when you, it's something you've supported when you when you're on the right side of it. You think you think you're doing the right thing and. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're looking at your neighbors and you're like, these are my allies. It's not my enemies. And then uh, your government looks at you like an enemy. It's very, it's very hard. It's exhausting too. I know, I know exactly how tiring that is. I really do. I'm not the enemy to a good government, man. Like if, if, if you feel like I'm an enemy, then you need to look at yourself because I'm, I'm not doing anything for selfish reasons. I have stock in the future. I have stock in something that I'll never be a part of just because I have kids. This just got to get straightened out so that they can have the same America that I grew up believing in. You know, even the America that I grew up believing in didn't exist then. Yeah. It was, you know, behind the scenes, it was getting taken away then. But I at least got to live it, you know, li live it for a little bit, man. And I remember, like I said, my childhood it was awesome. I would like that for everybody, but I don't see that with the way that things are going. You know, you talked about a war on words, right? Or, or you know, they said entrapment, but entrapment for a layman is different than entrapment. So they, they told the jury how to think. So, you know, here's 1984, dude, right in our face. Here's, here's a word. Here's what I think it is. And then I, you tell me, nope, this is what it actually means. And I can't think about it any other way. You've just rewritten my brain. And yes, now I see you as guilty because I have to. And this was insane, dude. Uh, the war on words, Governor Whitmer came out on October 9th, um, two days after our raid and said, they're not militias. They're, Domestic extremists, words matter. First of all, no group was taken down as a domestic terrorist group. They were only individuals. So even the Wolverine Watchmen, who I was never part of, did not know the group was not domestic terrorists. There was some people in it that were domestic terrorists. So here is your governor, Michigan, listen up, your governor telling you that you're not a militia. You are a domestic terrorist. A domestic terrorist. She did not qualify any of that. You just are a domestic terrorist. Her words. Um, uh, What's his name? Mr. Rolston there, the prosecutor, when uh, William Knoll was on the stand, he looked right at him and said, Patriot, isn't that a code word in your uh, in your movement? So if you consider yourself a patriot, if you're a part of a militia, if you are an American and consider yourself an American, you are a threat to them. That should tell you something. I'm not, this is not a call to action. I'm telling you, wake the fuck up. It's already been time, dude. Like, be aware. These people are coming after you. Little bit by little bit, slippery slope laws and rules are coming into effect. We actually have um, a red flag law in Michigan now, which was one of the first things I did with a militia group was go to Lansing. This was a long time ago, and we talked to representatives, and all of them, we don't even know what red flag law is. Well, here we are, May of this year. They came up with red flag laws. 
Some Donald Trump even said, I'm a big fan of take the guns first, then due process later. Do that such an oxymoron. You cannot have due process if you've already skipped due process. You cannot do that. And we have this in Michigan. Yeah, I'm scared, dude. <laughs> I don't blame you. You saw the uh, the trailer. We'll play it at the end of this. The trailer for Police State, the new film that uh, Dinesh D'Souza has put out that we consulted on, me and Steve Friend. Um, when you saw that, what did you think? Because that was one of the things we did before we got on here and started talking. If I was hooked up to a heart machine, dude, you, this, my heart was all out of my chest. Dude. I could feel, I could feel my neck throbbing. My palms got sweaty. That was scary. That was scary to watch because it's a movie, right? But no, I saw that shit. Like I was there. Oh my gosh. Dude. It, it seemed real when I was watching it. I was like, what the fuck? It was scary. You Thank you for bringing this up. You think they overdid it? You think they over, is that, is that how it looks? Is that how it feels? If anything, you guys may have underplayed it. Well, you have to see how it actually looks when it when it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did it was just the trailer, but I, I like it already, man. I'm telling, I'm gonna be one of the first people to go see it. If it comes to Cadillac, I'm watching it. Yeah, take your take uh take your chill pill before you get in there. Take a deep breath. Make sure you focus yourself because it's it's kind of intense. It's intense, and I was there, so. Um, it needs to be. Yep. Yeah. What what what's your advice to people? Is you said people should already be awake right now. What what do you think this goes like? Is does America come out of this? Oh yeah, we can still come out of it. Are you kidding me? Americans are resilient, and uh, we we do have a culture, and our American culture is fighting against tyranny. So we may have lost the culture for a long time now. It's because we haven't had to fight back, you know. But we have a common a common enemy, and we have the right way to do it. Our system is still in play. The reason that everything is what the way it has is because the loud people, the left, the you know the they're the ones that are loud. They're, they're the ones coming out and saying stuff. Conservatives, by definition, we're quiet as hell. We sit back and just leave us alone. We won't get in your way. You know, well, that doesn't affect us. What we need to do is start stepping up. Use the system that's in place. Your board of commissioners and work out from there. So it was super easy. Call, write, email your representatives. You don't have to do anything. Majority of the times we have things like the Convention of States, um, Grassroots Army. We have all sorts of stuff that have templates. All you need to do is put your name on there and write a, a short thing that personalizes it. Everything else is already filled out, and they will send it to the right people for you. There's no excuse anymore. You don't even have to make the phone call, but I wish you would. There's three things. Call, write, and email. It's so easy, and that's how you get your voice heard. If we actually come together like we're supposed to, using the system how we're supposed to, they cannot deny us. Now, anytime you want to start talking stupid shit and talk about we need to be violent, you're going to get shot the fuck down. I'm not saying there's not a, a place for training in that because you should be prepared. It's stupid not be prepared. The government even has contingency plans for like alien invasions and zombie hordes. No joke. This is real shit. Look it up. So why should we not have a contingency plan as civilians you know, for a, a terroristic government, whether our own or foreign, you know, and we get involved. You don't have to be a part of a militia, man. Just use your system while we still got it because we do, but for how much longer? Get involved. Look around, man. I, I don't know. That's what I got. Just get involved. Stay involved. Wise words. I noticed you didn't say anything about uh, get wild, blow anything up or take out anybody's boat. So I do appreciate you coming on and kind of bearing your heart a little bit. I know it was a uh, I know it's uncomfortable to talk about a lot of these things and there's a, there's a trust factor there. I appreciate you trusting me with your story and uh, we will make it available. Uh, also, your attorneys can have it too if they want a, a copy of it just in case anybody wants to, to, to claim. We'll, we'll show the, the full thing. That's, we're not into cutting things deceptively. That's not the way that we work over here, but I do appreciate it, Thank Eric. You. Thanks for having a, a chat with me. I hope you have a great, great rest of your week. And um, you know, if you want to come back on and talk again as things move forward, let me know. All right, thanks for your patience, man. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. Thanks so much.
All right, you have been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. We stream from Liberty Hill, Texas at 0930 weekdays. We do really appreciate all of you joining us. Uh, make sure that you hit the like button if you're watching on Rumble, if you're watching on, watching on uh, YouTube, if you're watching on x.com. What are you doing? Why are you watching this on your phone? Come to rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin and check us out there. That's where the main audience is. That's where our live chat streams and it is getting so fast. You might even have to go and hit the slow down button. If you didn't know that on the top right hand side, there's three buttons. You can actually change it to slow chat so you can keep up with all of the thoughts that are happening right there. We really appreciate all of you. We appreciate what you guys are involved in. I want to say thanks to my sponsor, uh, Catholic Vote. Folks, if you haven't checked out Catholic Vote, do so anytime. You're going to be happy to know that uh, they've got fantastic information in the loop. They're also America's top Catholic advocacy group. They're in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. And I'm telling you this, the fight that Catholics are involved in is the same fight that Christians everywhere are. There's not that much daylight between any of our beliefs on this one. And they are definitely pushing it with the FBI, with all their FOIAs and things like that. And they support us, which is a big deal to me. Um, very, very appreciative of them. And if you want to, you can always check out Mike Lindell's MyPillow thing. If you use MyPillow.com slash Kyle or use promo code Kyle, you'll get all the deals you'd get from anybody else. It doesn't matter what promo code you use. But if you do the Kyle, K-Y-L-E, they will support our show. We'll get a check for it. And we're appreciative of that. So if you're planning on buying them, especially with the holidays coming up, I know a lot of people are looking at the towels. They look at the sheets. They like the, uh, the slippers. If you're into the pillows, all those things, all available. You're going to get the same deal. Just use our promo code instead of anybody else's. K-Y-L-E. Support the Kyle Serafin Show. Folks. We're going to just uh, forego the five-star today. We'll grab you another one tomorrow. You can hang in there and see Steve Friend hosting Friendly Friday. He's going to be doing the Friendly Friday guest routine because I am on my way to Las Vegas, Nevada, one of my least favorite places in America. But I'm doing it for you so that we can stream this premiere of Police State. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, really, all of you that are out there experiencing the Police State. This is uh, only safe when you get to know who your neighbors are. If your eyes are open, if you're aware, and you start telling your elected representatives exactly what you'd expect, do not keep authorizing and funding this stuff. We'll see. we got a new speaker, so maybe things get better. Maybe they don't. You know I'm still going to hold on to my no one for speaker. That's what I think the right answer is. Time will tell, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, God bless you. We will see you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.